in some form or fashion. My question for you tonight, but first, <laughs> let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you, Lord, for the, the privilege and the honor of being able to gather and to get into your word together, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are a, a, a mighty God, a, a loving God, a God that just cares about every single aspect of our lives, Lord. And Lord, we just uh, lift up this time to you now. We pray that you would bless this time in your word, Lord. Speak to us individually. Speak to us corporately, Father, and just uh, continue the work that you've begun in each of our lives, Lord. We seek your blessings here tonight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So again, my question for you tonight is... How much do you appreciate what God has made available in your life? How much do you appreciate what God has made available in your life? Tonight we'll be in Ephesians chapter 2. And in this chapter, uh, Paul is challenging the Ephesians uh, to think about their past for, for one reason and one reason only to think about their past for the purpose of developing a heart of gratitude for what God is doing and what God has done. Now we're going to begin in the middle of the chapter because this is really the second study from Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to begin at verse 11. So let's read the first two verses to understand how Paul is trying to get the Ephesians to think. Beginning at verse 11. Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands. That at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, whenever uh, you, you probably have heard this before, that whenever you get a therefore at the beginning of a verse, uh, you can always ask the question, well, what is therefore, therefore? Well, you answer that by looking at a couple of verses uh, beforehand and, and uh, in, you know, what, what Paul is talking about here, he's talking about salvation by grace, of course. And in verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in, in them. Therefore, so that's what he's, he's talking, that's what the therefore is therefore, isn't it? It's just to get us to remember and to think about the work that God is doing in each of our lives. And, and the good works that he wants us to get to so that we can grow in Christ and, and be a part of what God is doing in, in, the, in the body of Christ. Now, in these verses, as we move on to verse 11 here, it says that in these verses, Paul tells them that who they once were. And he reminds them of things that they did not have. He tells them to remember that they were once Gentiles in the flesh. See, Gentiles were in a very desperate place because they had no hope. They had no peace. They were without rest. And they had no spiritual blessings. They were without God. That's where, the, that's the, where Gentiles are. 
to be without Christ, of course, is a terrible place to be. It's a terrible state to be in. It's, it's a place where the, the lost man or, and, and the lost woman has not experienced forgiveness of sin, where every burden and every weight and the penalty of sin has been taken away. See, Paul is reminding the Ephesians that, that they were once in that state and that in that state they were aliens and strangers from the commonwealth of Israel. When you're without Christ, if you can think about your own testimony just a little bit and go back to, you know, maybe you don't want to go back, but at least you remember uh, what you were before you came to Christ. When you're without Christ, there's a clear detachment or boundary that exists. There's a social boundary as well as a spiritual detachment or an alienation, if you will. And socially, religious people can leave other people out. And we have to, you know, we can all uh, take heed to these words because it's something we should all consider. Uh, religious people can leave other people out. They can separate from those that are without Christ. And, and they can be guilty of spiritual pride. In verse 11, he says that those who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. See, that is an indication of a religious, a religious mindset. My pages are sticking together. Not good. See, he's pointing out here that religious people can think and believe that their religion and their ceremonies elevate them from other people and from other religions. You could do that. You could do that with religion, can't you? With your religion. You could do that with the authority that you have in ministry. And that's called spiritual, spiritual pride. And spiritual pride will blind you and can cause you to lose sight of your own shortcomings. And we should all be concerned about that. It can ca cause you to wrongly focus on the faults of others and things that don't, excuse me, don't really matter. See, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter who your family is. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter what church you go to. The only thing that matters is where do you stand with Jesus Christ? As we gather in this room, that is the only thing that matters, isn't it? Some of those other things may be important to us in different ways, absolutely, but, but essentially it doesn't matter with regard to, to your stand with Christ. What matters is that we recognize that God is always reaching out. And we can be an instrument in that reaching out. He's reaching out to those that have accepted him, of course. That's why we gather. We gather so that we could learn and so that we can grow and we can, we can rightly divide the word of truth and we can, and we can you know, get so much of God's vision of what he wants to do in us and through us. So he's reaching out to those that have accepted him, no doubt. He's reaching out to those that have not accepted him. He wants every man to be saved, doesn't he? And God is always reaching out. Again, we can be an instrument in that, the work that God is doing in our society, in our neighborhoods, in our families. He's reaching out to those that are hurting. And he's willing to, he's so willing to provide comfort and strength 
He's so willing to get us through and to get us past those situations in life that we all face. So God is reaching out. He's reaching out to those that don't think that they need him. What did Jesus say? He said that uh, the, the, the healthy person doesn't need a physician. But we know, we know that we all need the great physician, don't we? We all need the great physician, and, and God is always reaching out to those who are hurting, those that don't think that they need him. So nobody is better than anyone else, and we all need Jesus and the free gift of salvation that he gives that he has for us and that he gives to all of mankind. So we all need to come to Christ, what, with a, with a humble heart, ready to be made into an instrument that God can use. And we have to be careful about not being too prideful of, of, of what we have. You know, we, we are part of a, a well-taught community, a well-taught church, aren't we? A well-taught community of, of believers, and, and we need not look, uh, look down on anybody else or any other church in the body of Christ. So Paul is reminding the Ephesian believers of these things, that only Jesus Christ can break down the walls of prejudice and, and pride. Only Jesus Christ can reconcile believers to God and unify us as one body. See, it's not the religion that you practice. It's about the person that you praise, isn't it? It's not the religion that you practice. It's about the person that you praise. It's about the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is what matters. That is the most important thing. That is why we gather. Moving on to verse 13 in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, but now... You know, whenever you see the word but now, it's, it's kind of like you can stop right there. But now. You can stop right there and we can start giving testimonies all night long, right? And, and, and we can start talking about where you're at now compared to where you were a long time ago, before you came to Christ, you know? So you could stop with but now, but of course there's more to the verse. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So when God sent his son to die on the cross for you and for me, he did it to, to make a way for every person to be brought closer to their creator. He did it so the believers would develop a strong, personal relationship with the God of the universe. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. You know, God didn't have to. He didn't have to do all that he has done for us. But he wanted to, didn't he? Because of his great love for all of mankind. He wanted to. So when we're without Christ, we are far from all the promises and all of the hope that he has for every believer. In Christ, we're brought closer to him. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, it says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole 
world. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. By his blood, the blood that he shed on the cross, he removed all obstacles of reconciliation. Because Jesus gave his life as a ransom for all, God's anger is turned away and complete pardon is freely extended to all of mankind. By his blood, we have the opportunity to draw closer to the Lord and we are admitted to the favor of God, able to worship him with all of our hearts. And as God does a work in our hearts and he gives us that new heart, each and every day, each and every month, each and every year, we're able to worship him with that, new, that newness of light, that newness of heart. That's why we say that it, it, it is the gift of God. Now, continuing on in verse 14, he says, For he himself is our peace, <clears throat> who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. When you make peace with God, you can have the peace of God. His peace is priceless, isn't it? His peace is absolutely, you know, it's, it's, it's just so much to experience the peace of God. Because we all have situations where we desperately need the peace of God. And we all have times where we, we kind of can, you know, leave God out of it because we're so entangled and so involved in the issues of life and all the things that are going on that sometimes we don't give room for the peace of God, but we need to. It's priceless. It, it, it cannot be bought. It cannot be earned. It cannot be traded for. And by itself, I would say that it's one of the very best blessings that the Lord has for us. And if you've experienced the peace of God, you know what I'm talking about. When you make peace with God, you have access to Him, and you can establish and build a relationship with Him that is beautiful and governed by His hand. But there's more. There's still more. There is more in that, that peace with God is wonderful and it's extravagant. But then peace with mankind is also an added benefit. And we have that opportunity in each of our lives sometimes to, to make peace with our fellow man. And maybe there's someone today that you might need to make peace with. Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a co-worker. Who knows? But, you know, we, in Christ, we have that opportunity to make peace with our fellow man because there can be no peace if there's strife. There can be no peace if there's hatred. There can be no peace if there's animosity. And that's the beautiful thing about what we share time and time again is that it all changes when you come to Christ, doesn't it? It all changes when you come to Christ, when, when you have different people that come from, from different cultures. You have different people that come from different races and different backgrounds. 
And there's, there's not going to be a whole lot in common. You know, you, you can look around, you can look at the person next to you and think that, you know, I, I would never have anything to do with any of you. <laughs> I, might, I, I might not, you know, if, if I didn't know it, but, but here in Christ we have so much in common, don't we? And that's the beauty. That's the beauty of walking with the Lord. In Christ, everything changes because, because when two believers come together, they now have all of those things in common. We worship the same God. We have the same Savior. We have the same hope. We depend on the same atonement. We look forward to the same heaven. We belong to the same family in the body of Christ. The redeemed were set apart. We're set apart to enjoy the benefits and the beauty of the grace of God. Again, verse 14 says, He has broken down the middle wall of separation. He has removed anything that keeps two parties apart. It can be true for Jew and Gentile. It can be true for Catholics and Protestants. It can be true for atheists and agnostics. It can be true for, for the religious and the non-religious. Anything that comes between you and anyone else has been taken out of the way when you come to Christ. It's been taken and broken down because you have Jesus Christ as your common denominator. Because you're in Christ, all of those things have been taken away. It's been nailed to the cross. Whatever is separating you and other people, when you come to Christ, that's been taken away. It's been nailed to the cross. And sometimes we have to work at leaving it there, don't we? It's been nailed to the cross and we have to leave it there. Sometimes we want to go back and we want to take it down and borrow it for a little bit. Because I, I need to work on this. and No, 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 no. If it's been nailed to the cross, we need to leave it there. And if we need to give it to the Lord again, then we continually give it to the Lord and let Him have those burdens. Let Him have those weights. Jesus Christ has made, has made it possible for anyone and everyone to enter in to the body of Christ. Anyone can come into His church. Anyone who receives the free gift of eternal life can, can have everything in common with his new neighbor who is in Christ. The people that are sitting next to you tonight. We have so much more in common because we're in Christ. See, when Jesus died on... Well, turn to... <laughs> I jumped past my note here. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. It's a picture that shows us that nothing can keep us from having access to God. No curtain, no ritual, no custom, no association can keep us from the love, the grace, and the mercy and the blessings of God. See, by his death on the cross, he has, he has abolished any hostility that exists or that ever will exist. And he has made possible complete reconciliation. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 19, it describes this perfectly. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. In Christ, we are brand new. In Christ, we are reconciled to God and to each other. In Christ, we have the ministry of reconciliation. By the cross, he has has destroyed the hostility that exists by reaching out to those that are afar off. By those that may think they have no hope. Those that may think they are unreachable. Moving on in verse 17 in Ephesians 2. It says, he has come to preach. Verse 17 says, And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. See, the message of the cross, the message of the cross is that sinners can get right with God. Sinners can get right with God and experience forgiveness of sin and be brought into the presence of God. Through his life and in his death, he came to preach to the Jew first and also to the Gentile who were yet to believe. When they believe, they receive the free gift of eternal life. And they now have access to a life of faith. A life of faith that is led by the Holy Spirit and filled with all the blessings that God has for us. He came to preach peace to those who were afar off and to those who were near. Those who were afar off are the Gentiles and those who were near are the Jews. Turn to John chapter 20. The term afar off is an important term because we, can, we, we have to consider who's included in these words. Now remember, remember when Jesus... When Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared before his apostles. Well, Thomas wasn't there, if you remember. Thomas wasn't there. Now, we don't know where he was, but when when he heard that Jesus had appeared before the other apostles, he didn't want to believe it. In fact, part of verse 25 says, Unless I see the print of the nails of his hands and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. If somebody said that to you, what would, that, what would your reaction be? If somebody said that to you and you had the authority that, that Jesus had, what would you do? You know, Of course, we know that the Lord wouldn't do any of that. Not that you're thinking anything bad or anything like that, but You know, we don't know exactly why Thomas was so defiant. But we can ask the question here, how many people are like Thomas? How many people are like Thomas? And have you ever been like Thomas? 
How many people are not present for the preaching of the word? How many people are not here tonight? And how many people, you know, in a, in, in a general sense, uh, don't go to church? Aren't sitting under the ministry of the, of the word? They're not there. How many people do not believe because they cannot see for themselves? Or because if, you, if you've ever had a discussion with somebody, sometimes somebody will say something like, I need, I need God to show me something tangible. I, you know, I don't like that word. But people have that argument sometimes. They want something tangible. Kind of like what Thomas was looking for here. So how many people are struggling with their circumstances? And there are some serious circumstances that people can face, no doubt. And, but, but sometimes it handcuffs people from believing the gospel of peace. So we can all be just like Thomas, and we know people that are just like Thomas. The beautiful thing is that Jesus will meet you right where you're at, won't he? He'll meet you right where you're at. In fact, it says that eight days later, Jesus came back, and this time Thomas was there. And after Jesus greeted the disciples, he addressed Thomas. And this, I, I love this part because Jesus spoke to him directly. And it's true for, for anyone else, people that, that aren't there, people that, that are handcuffed with their circumstances, people that for whatever reason are weighed down with the issues of life and, and, and just, just can't quite grow in their relationship with the Lord. There's people like that all around us. But Jesus met Thomas, didn't he? And he spoke to him directly to deal with his unbelief. In verse 27, he said, Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and behold my hands. And reach your hand here and thrust it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Verse 28, And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who have not seen and have believed. So whatever is causing doubt, whatever is causing unbelief, we need to put it before the Lord so that he can deal with it personally, so he can deal with it directly. And he will if we put it before him, won't we? Now, he may not always give us the answers that we want, but he's going to give us what we need to sustain us and to get us through and to get us past and, and enable us to move on to a closer walk with him. He tells Thomas, now that you have seen and touched, you have the answer. Verse 29, he says, but because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who have not seen and have believed. Now, before we turn to that story, we were talking about the term, those that are far off. Verse 17 of uh, Ephesians 2 again says, And he came and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. See, Thomas was right there. Thomas was right there. He was in the same room with Jesus, he was near. But then Jesus said, 
Blessed are they who have not seen and believed. That includes me. That includes me, because I wasn't there. I wasn't in the room. I wasn't, I wasn't there, but, but I, I believe. I have not seen, and I believe. And that's all of us, isn't it? That's you and me. We weren't in the same room. We were afar off. He came to preach peace and reconciliation to all of mankind. That is the gospel of peace, isn't it? He came to give us access to the throne of grace. It says in verse 18 of Ephesians 2. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Through him we have access by faith into the grace and the benefits of the Christian life. We have access to the hand of God and the favor of God. As a result, we are no longer strangers. We are no longer foreigners in the household of God. As verse 19 says, Christ is our cornerstone. Verse 19, now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, having been built, been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. See, when God does a work, He completes the work that He has begun, doesn't He? And if we could just work on staying out of the way and participating in that work, then we, we, we won't hinder what God wants to accomplish in us and through us. We won't hinder that work and we can partake of his will. We can participate with him as he, as he does a work in us and through us. Because he will take us through. And he will get us past some of the most difficult circumstances that we may ever face. And he will continue that work and use those issues to make us stronger, to make us into a new creation. He will help us get rid of the old to make room for the new things that he has for us. As verse 19 describes, he takes us from being strangers and foreigners to being fellow citizens and members of the household of God. In his household, God has built a building that will exalt his name and bring him glory. That's why we gather, isn't it? To exalt his name and to bring him glory. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. You see, through the prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles of the New, the Lord has built a foundation where Christ is contained because he is the chief cornerstone. In Christ Jesus, we have the one who carries the weight he fits and works all things together for good, though sometimes we don't have a vision for that 
we have to trust his word when he says that, that he will work all things together for good. Just as the potter molds and makes the vessels that he makes, because the vessel is willing, the potter can make that vessel into an instrument that he can use. In, in 1 Peter chapter 2, at verse 4, it says, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When we come to Christ as God's chosen vessel, we are living stones giving a living sacrifice, allowing the Lord to build us up. Allowing the Lord to build us up into a spiritual house, a surrendered instrument. See, He alone can make us into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, a sacred fraternity, if you will that is completely interested and devoted to his plan for our lives. Again, that's why we gather. That's why we gather, because this is a great place to hang out, isn't it? On Sunday morning, on Sunday night, on Thursday night, this is a great place to hang out, and some of your best friends in all of life will come from this place, will come from the body of Christ. Now, nobody has arrived. Nobody has perfected their walk. But in Christ, in Christ, we can become more and more like him. One day at a time, one moment at a time, one, one month at a time, one year at a time, little by little, step by step, God does a work in our lives and he draws us closer to him each and every step. He fits together, things together, and causes us to grow. See, when a building is built and the foundation is laid, the Lord builds upon that foundation, doesn't he? He constructs the walls and he ties, he, he, he ties them together with cross beams. He reinforces them with joints and, and studs. He tops them off with gables and roofing. And there's so much more in between. And it's all part of the body that he's building up, the building that he is building up, the work that he wants to accomplish in each of our lives. He builds a structure and he causes it to grow from the ground up with the best foundation that any man can lay. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Remember, the cornerstone carries a lot of the weight, doesn't he? And we build on that. We build on, on him, the foundation. He builds and he makes us grow into a sacred shrine, a, a temple where his spirit the Holy Spirit can dwell. Jesus, Jesus told us that the Holy Spirit will dwell with you and shall be in you. He told us in John's Gospel in chapter 14 and chapter 16, we won't turn there, but he told us that the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us every step of the way. God the Father is the builder. God the Father is the builder of this structure. Jesus Christ is the foundation. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power 
to follow Christ. And again, little by little, step by step, one day at a time, as we practice some basic spiritual disciplines, we get into the Word, we spend time in fellowship, and we have a conversation with the Lord, prayer. We grow. We grow. You know, I've been walking with the Lord for a long time. And as I get closer to the Lord, what happens is I just see more and more depravity. Because he works on the inside, doesn't he? He works on the inside. You know, it, it doesn't take a whole lot. You know, you're a Christian for a couple of years maybe, and you could begin to look pretty good on the outside. You know, you're fellowshipping, you're great, you've got a big smile, you're, you're just wonderful to be around the body of Christ and all that, you know, but what's going on? What's going on on the inside? That's what the Lord wants to work on, isn't it? Because he makes those changes. And though some of those things that, we might, that might be on the inside may never come out. It may never come to the outside, but the Lord still wants to deal with it. He wants to deal with the anger. He wants to deal with the things that, that weigh you down. He wants to deal with the hurt of the past. He wants to deal with if you've ever been defrauded, if you've ever been a victim in any way. He wants to deal with those things and meet you right where you're at, just like he did with Thomas. He wants to do those things and he wants to, to, to build us, build our lives so that we're, we can have a stronger and a better relationship with the Lord. Because when he does that work on the inside, eventually that work will show itself on the outside, won't it? And that's peace and that's strength and that's joy and that's love. And that is so much more about what God wants to do he is the builder of this structure, and we need to let him build. The big question is, as believers, are we materials that the Lord wants to use, that the Lord can use in this, his building project? Are we materials that he can use to accomplish his plan in this world? Are we materials that the Lord can use to accomplish his plan in your world? We can be a dwelling place from where the Lord builds his church and reaches the world for Christ. It's true for the Ephesian church, and it's true for every church in the body of Christ. He is our peace. He is our foundation. He is the chief cornerstone. Through him, we can be a vessel, we can be a sanctified, we can be prepared for personal growth and for personal outreach. So let him build the structure. Let him build the structure of your life and watch him bless your life. He'll do it, and he'll do it over and over again. Psalm 29, 11 says, The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Why don't we pray? Father, again, we just thank you for the privilege and the honor of, of coming to this place, Lord, to worship you. We thank you for the privilege and the honor, Lord, of being able to, to, to serve you in this place. 
And we just pray, Father, that you would continue to use us, Lord, that you would continue the work that you've begun in each of our lives, Lord, and just help us to see and understand what you want to accomplish in us and through us, Lord. Lord, I pray for every person in this room here tonight, Lord, and every person listening, Lord, that you would just meet them right where they're at. And Lord, that they would be willing and interested in just surrendering those things that are weighing them down. Surrendering those things, Lord, that are keeping them from having a closer walk with you. Lord, help us all to grow closer to you, that you would reveal yourself to us, and that we would just hunger and thirst for more of you every day of our lives. Father, we thank you again for the privilege and the honor of being here tonight and for the privilege and the honor of studying your word. Father, we thank you, Lord. Bless tonight and bless this church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. And